Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of State of the Art. I'm your host, Andrew Herman. And if this is your first time here, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing. We're talking about art technology and the intersection between them. But mostly, we want to talk about why you should care about this stuff. I've been on both sides of this coin as a startup founder, an engineer, a creative, and I'm just fascinated by the world where art and technology overlap. So I'll be talking to artists, collectors, CEOs, and founders, anybody who has any perspective on this world I want to talk to. Have you ever just had one of those moments where you're on a back porch or on a rooftop or you know anywhere outside just staring up at the stars and you have that moment of of clarity around how tiny you are and how big the universe is and how unimportant all of our struggles are in the grand scape of the universe and all that fun stuff. It's there are fun ideas to think about and you know always a good time to kind of maybe sip a glass of wine or if you're in California or Oregon smoke a little puff of something else and just hang out and think about it. But our next guest is actually uh, taking it the next step. She's doing something about it. She's she's creating artwork that really engages these big ideas of the singularity and and how we would communicate with someone once we're gone and all of this fun stuff. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Please stay tuned and welcome Ashley Zelensky. This week, I'm really ex- I was really looking forward to this interview. So um so uh, just to say that out in front uh Ashley Zelinsky is our guest today so welcome Ashley Thank you And Ashley um you do a lot of thinking about the, the, and the reason that I was looking forward to this so much is you do a lot of thinking about these topics that um you know college kids kind of sit out on the front porch and smoke pot and think about how small they are in the universe <laughs> right and uh and like sort of all these mind blowing concepts about what happens if, you know, if the end of days comes for humanity or the singularity happens or whatever. Um, but but you actually are doing something about it and taking it kind of to the next level and thinking about uh, what kind of artwork can last past these singularity events or what it yeah. means to be a permanent type of artwork. So, um, so we'll get a little bit more into the artwork itself later, but I'm curious just to start what kind of lit this fuse for you? What what was it that sort of sunk in and got you on this track? Um, well, I was once once one of those college kids <laughs> sitting out on the porch. So Fair enough. <laughs> I guess a lot of it comes from that. Uh, I like thinking about these big mind blowing questions that really we don't have an answer to and doesn't look like we're going to have an answer for at least a good bit of time. <clears throat> and those types of I guess they're like brain exercises are what really really intrigue me. And I really like thinking about, um, really into sci-fi as a kid, really into outer space, um, got into computers and all, all different kinds of sciences. And that's the, that's the thing is I wanted to be a scientist, but I couldn't land on any one particular <laughs> like genre. So I kind of just decided I liked them all and I would just be an artist and talk about all of them. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the best way to be a scientist because you don't have to like get into the hard science of it if you don't want to you just get to kind of describe what you know of it I like that yeah I didn't want to do the math I just wanted (laughs) to like think about the ideas and kind of just like run with them and that's what artists do yeah that's kind of how I landed on it (laughs) well it's funny you say you don't want to do the math because your current artwork (laughs) is is full of math so Talk, uh, uh, if you don't mind, kind of explain what is this idea of sort of the universal language? Why is this an important idea to you? 
Um, so yeah, math as a universal language, um, if we're talking about speaking to whether it be computers or aliens or beings that we don't know, uh, who or what they are, what senses they have, um, the, the basic thing that we would all have in common, um, in order to have the technology to talk to one another or to get from planet to planet would be math. So a, like, uh, the the aliens or the computers they they all they're all going to be able to speak math um so when you're when you're making artworks and you want to convey an idea and you don't know who you'll be talking to just that they'll be an intelligent being you you use math so that's how i kind of got into that Hmm. despite all my best efforts (laughs) all my high school teachers are like we told you so Yeah, all the I swear you're gonna use this someday. And I was like, speak. I'll never use this. I'm gonna be an artist, and now everything is math. <laughs> <laughs> well, why? So is this something that you like? You know, this singularity, or you know, aliens are being taken over by machines. Like, is that something that causes you stress? Is this something that you're like up at night shaking, thinking about, or is it just an idea that you kind of latched onto artistically? Um, no, I'm not up at night, like having existential crisis, like, like <laughs> people freak out when they think about, um, time and like, uh, the vastness of the universe. And I kind of find a peace in it. Um, it might be why also I live in New York city. It's just like, it's so crowded. You're like alone in public. <laughs> I, I, it's like kind of the same idea with the universe. Like the fact that the universe is so big and so massive and that we don't matter kind of like, you know, I find some peace in that. Yeah. But lots of people want to be the center of the universe. And if that's the case, then you're going to have a problem. Right. Um, But I've been working a lot with uh, NASA and uh, NASA scientists, um, astrophysicists, and they think on a very large time scale as well. So like if you if you're working for NASA, you're not you're not thinking about next year. You're not thinking about the next 10 years. You're thinking about like 100 years into the future, a thousand years into the future. Um, When I collaborate with them and I'm working on a project with them where we're waiting for data to come back. The last project I, well, the second to last project I did with them, uh, was, uh, the Osiris Rex mission. Um, and I was at the launch for that probe and I have to wait seven years for the data to come back for me to finish my piece. (laughs) Um, and they're like, that's a short mission for them. Like, that's not, that's no big deal. Yeah. But when you're thinking about time on a larger scale, you kind of, you know, that's that's the that's the scale in which science works on. That's the scale in which astro, astrophysicists work on. Yeah. Is the you know, we're we're a blip on the timeline. Yeah. You know, if you ever watch Neil deGrasse Tyson's talks about standing on the uh, celestial calendar, we're like, you know, a minute into it. So <laughs> we're like we're, we're like on the last day of the last year or whatever. And we're just like we've been around for like a minute. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy to think. Um, but when you're thinking on a time scale like that and you're thinking about making artwork, uh, you have to think about not just how humans are going to interpret it, but how other intelligent beings or like what comes after us is going to is going to make of this. Yeah. Um, so making them out of materials that last a really long time. So everything's like plated in gold and copper and nickel. And I try to like make them out of metals that, you know, will take a little bit longer to degrade. Hmm. Um, and then also using math so that anybody can pick them up, see them and be like, oh, we understand what this message says. So, yeah. So how, and I mean, I think this is like one of the great philosophical questions, uh, regardless of if you're talking about artwork or not, but, but when you're 
you know, your job is to make these art objects, right? Or not your job, your life is to make these <laughs> yeah. art objects. But, um, you know, when you're talking about like standing on this massive timeline and the in- insignificance mm-hmm. of what we are, like, how do you not just get disparaged from saying like, why do this at all? Why is it important? Why in your head is it important to capture this stuff and document it for, um, for some later communication? Oh, I think it's just our responsibility. We're here and we should let it be known that we're here. Um, I, I like the idea of uh, like the pale blue dot photo where we turned around and looked at ourselves. Um, and, you know, the golden record that we sent with the, the images of where we are and like some some sounds of what our what our humanity sounds like. Um, just to kind of say we're here because it, it is we're not sure when we'll be found or when we will find somebody else. Um, and I think last time we were talking, I was talking to you about the Fermi paradox. Yeah. Whether we're before or after the the great filter, I think they call it. Right. Um, so if we ever do find somebody, it could be millions and billions of years after we're gone. Yeah. You know? So <clears throat> what are we going to leave around? How are we going to say? Hey, we were here because I'm sure if we, like that's what we're looking for too. Like we're looking to see if there's anybody else out there, and if they're not bothering to leave artifacts, like we're never going to find them if they're already gone. Hmm. Yeah. So what? So what artifacts? Artifacts? What artifacts <laughs> are are important in your head? Like, what do you? How do you make the choice about what gets included in your kind of personal canon? Um. So right now, I'm I'm working on a very basic level. Um. To be able to start a conversation with someone and you're not sure who they are or what they look like or (laughs) what their senses are it's actually pretty pretty difficult so you have to start pretty basic i don't know if you've ever seen uh, the movie contact or read the book yeah but they start off very basic like you know one plus one equals two like they're they're starting to set a language right um so my my pieces get increasingly more complicated but i did want to start that that language that Hmm. base point so I started with very simple objects and now I'm getting, they're getting more and more complicated. We're adding in different types of information now. So now it's not just basic math. Now I'm adding in DNA messages, all kinds of stuff. So, but you have to start out pretty basic just to like get the baseline down. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that feels like such a huge responsibility to try to pick like, what are, what are the objects that represent human culture and what would I want some abstract intelligence to know about oh yeah well i mean like the pretty basic ones were actually the easiest now deciding what culture i'm instilling in them is probably the harder (laughs) bit um yeah yeah the the basic sculptures were like i'm gonna take some really basic uh mathematically beautiful mathematically perfect uh objects so i chose the platonic solids um they're found throughout history um they're mathematically like there can only be five of them mathematically they're like these beautiful shapes they they make sense they're like this is you know and then you're i'm using the code on them to describe the object so it's basically like these are these shapes you know now we can now we're, we're understanding math we're understanding geometry like we're starting to make a conversation and have a dialogue um <clears throat> and then you can move on and make more complicated shapes add in some human figures, like start really like, okay, now we're getting this. So now let's move on to the next thing. Are, are you afraid that like uh, an alien is going to find this someday and think that the human race was just like all of these perfectly <laughs> geometric figures 
<laughs> oh god I, I mean like some of my sculptures i'm like are they, are they gonna get confused by that because they're my android series is where i like take the platonic solids and like smash them into the faces of the humans oh man um, <laughs> so those are gonna those are gonna raise some eyebrows but it's <laughs> you know <laughs> ah, this we're, is a violent getting, species <laughs> yeah, we're, we're also getting into interpretation and in how like we feel about ourselves so you yeah. know we are merging with our technologies we're like we're trying to show visually that we are one with this technology yeah so talk a little bit about because uh, i mean i've seen your work <clears throat> some of our listeners may have but i'm sure many will not have and and i love i mean i i have a more technical background as our listeners mm -hmm. know but so I love the kind of nerdy aspect of what you're doing. Can you explain, kind of just like paint the picture for our listeners of what these objects look like and how you're using the code? Yeah. Um, so all of my objects, how to describe them, uh, are on a podcast, you guys. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So like I said, the the simplest objects to describe are the platonic solids. Um, so like tetrahedron, hexahedron. So it's like a you know triangular shape cube. You know, dodecahedron, icosahedron, um, you know, you're, you're, these are very simple shapes. So like, let's start with the cube. So if we were looking at the cube, it is, it's, it's a cube. That's what it's shaped like. And it's, uh, it's got, uh, like a lacy texture on it. And the lace that's wrapped around the cube is text. And if you take a really close look at the text, you'll realize that it's hexadecimal code. And everybody always asks me why hexadecimal code and not binary. So I'm I'm taking the 3D model of the cube in my 3D modeling software. I save it as an STL file, and then I take that STL file and I basically am you know it's like peeling away the layers of an onion. All of the files on your computer are made up of code. They're all ones and zeros. That's how your computer thinks. It's on and off. It's circuits. Um, so every single file on your computer is binary code at its very base. So I just have a, a program that basically peels away all the layers of UI until you're only seeing that code, only the ones and zeros. Um, and what hexadecimal code does is just shortens that. It's a way of like shorthanding binary code. Um, and there's two reasons for me doing this. Um, one reason is binary code is ridiculously long. Uh, <laughs> it would take it would just be it's it's already difficult to fit the hexadecimal code onto the objects the objects would have to be like 10 feet tall to fit all the 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 uh, binary code on it um and also aesthetically i am still an artist the binary code just didn't look so good yeah it's you know because everything is because i'm making this lace out of text the all the letters and numbers have to be touching and right. when you when you get binary code and you smash it together all of the places where there's only ones just become bars. And then and then it's just zero. So it's it's just not as aesthetically pleasing as the hexadecimal code. And the hexadecimal code made it so much easier to fit yeah. the code onto the sculptures and have them be a reasonable size. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Like for you know, my initial my initial reaction to looking at your work was like uh, understanding what that code represents. It's like this mm. cool little, you know, trying to look at it from the perspective of someone who or something who has never encountered human culture. It would be this cool little riddle box of like, OK, well, like <laughs> yeah. these numbers mean something. Clearly, this is some sort of language. And clearly mm -hmm. they're arranged in a way that's meant to be interesting, you know, geometrically. And then, you know, if you worked hard enough to unwrap what that code actually was and see what it represents to see that it represents the actual thing you're looking at is this 
really cool like recursive translation from the literal (laughs) object in real space to sort of the mathematical representation of it yeah it's a meta sculpture it's it's talking about itself yeah so so talk about your um you know we talked a little bit about sort of your science influence in this and the um mathematical background that's going Mm -hmm. on in this but um but you mentioned a second ago you know you are still an artist you have a, a very serious art background what is the sort of um artistic direction you're taking with this in terms of you know, the aesthetic and what you want people to feel just from looking at it. Oh, well, yeah, I still want all these objects to be beautiful. People aren't going to uh, spend the time to get to know them and what they're representing and what they're talking about if they're not beautiful to look at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I am I am traditionally trained as a as an artist. I, I went to school for art. Um, I studied sculpture. I studied art history. Um, so lots of my work kind of I try I'm trying really hard to like go back to my roots with art I can really go down the rabbit hole with science like pretty hardcore (laughs) and I try to like pull myself back and and try to like pair it with my traditionally traditional education of like aesthetic aesthetic objects like gallery pieces so you know and and I could go off on a tangent and like make you know really meta works or like video work or like AI or like, you know, computer programs and all kinds of stuff. But I, I want to stay in like, in a gallery setting. Like, I want to appreciate that part of my education as well is, um, you know, making these beautiful objects that sit on pedestals and like, you know, inspire people. And I, and I really feel like it's the, it's the pairing of art and science that I'm really interested in because art has this way of drawing people in. Hmm. And it's kind of like tricking them into learning something that they might not otherwise have thought about. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I mean, I talk about this a lot on this on the podcast that I think there's so much more in common between the creative world and the sort of hard technical world than people realize. Oh, yeah. Um, they used to be the same the same thing. Yeah. If you were an artist, you were a scientist. If you were a scientist, you were an artist. Yeah. Why do you think that that like why people have seen that go apart like why do we see them as two separate things these days i I don't know how it happened because like in the days of da vinci you were you were both right and it was just you were a you know a scholarly person you you read and you did science and you did astronomy and you uh made art and and i don't i don't know i guess maybe just because um we've we've decided that you need to be such an expert in your field and that you know going in any direction but exactly where you're supposed to go yeah. you know with your with your education is just like not useful yeah. people aren't encouraged to explore the way they used to be able to i don't know hmm. it's it's really weird so i don't, i try not to i really liked science and i really liked art and it was like devastating to me in high school my senior year when they were like you have to pick one cuz yeah. they can't be the same thing and i was like <laughs> no that's terrible yeah that's interesting um, yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that I came full circle and I'm able to do both now. I I can pursue both my passions. Well, I, so I'm curious. One of the things um, you mentioned you mentioned this on one of our previous talks that um, that people have uh, or can have a pretty strong reaction to this being dark or you know like a scary macabre kind of topic to be thinking yeah. about how we communicate through the end of civilization and stuff like that. But you, you have a very different perspective on that. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I've had a couple um, art 
critics talk about my work as being, you know, dark or a bummer. Yeah. Um, and, and I just don't see it that way. Uh, and like I said, when you're working with scientists, they don't see it that way either. You know, it's just a matter of fact. Um, hmm. And I guess I find some I find it kind of therapeutic. Uh, they call it when astronauts leave, uh, leave the Earth and they're looking back, they're in orbit and they're looking back at the Earth. They call it the overview effect, which is kind of this moment of like Zen, of enlightenment, where um, they kind of get this, they get this perspective. They're looking at the earth and they realize, you know, it's this ball floating in a whole lot of nothing. Um, yeah. You know, every like and it's the it's the whole pale blue dot, too. It's like, you you know, you realize that all the little arguments you had didn't matter. All the people that are fighting over like a tiny scrap of land doesn't matter. Like the politics don't matter. Like yeah. it really puts everything in perspective. And, and they say that these astronauts that are, um, you know, looking at look, looking at the planet, they just have this like aha moment, this like Zen moment of like wow and they come back with this like new perspective on life and 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 that's what i'm trying to get across is you know if, if you you know can can take a step out of your day-to-day life long enough to mm. really look at like how beautiful everything is you know like it is crazy that we're here it is crazy that this is the only planet that we know about that has life mm. you know it does it does make everything seem kind of silly you know all the all the fighting all the war like we're all floating on the same little speck in nothingness. Like, right. We should all just, you know, get along, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to bring it back to the back college stoner conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I wonder too, if that has something to do with like, you know, like we talking a second ago about sort of the perceived differences between the creative fields and the technical fields. Like, you know, I think there's this this expectation of artists and of creatives to sort of be our um, they represent sort of our empathy as a, as humanity, right? And I think that can be true. It certainly is true in in a lot of cases. But I think that when you're talking about, um, you know, examining things on this meta level, right? Whether you're talking about examining it creatively. Or technically, you can't really help but become a little detached. Like you have to be detached because because we don't exist. Like we, our realities don't exist on that scale, right? Like our realities exist on this like minute to minute. Everything is about me, like right, high right. pitched kind of pace. Um, but it's, I mean, I guess it can kind of feel a little bit cold and detached from that level. But but as you're saying, like the inverse of that is that it gives you that perspective to be more empathetic on our timeline. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and how I, I kind of get sad when, when collectors or critics or the audience of the work sees it and goes, Oh man, like this is really sad because I'm like, wow, that it, it says more about them than it says about me. Yeah. I'm making this all with a happy face. I'm like, you know, I want to talk, I want to like, you know, talk to, to beings that aren't here yet. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be, you know, on my little speck of dust. Like <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, human race, like let's go. Yeah. Um, and, and to, to have it be, you know, so, I don't know, bottled up and you, you're just, you know, you know, so taken by your own little life that you can't enjoy, you know? Yeah. And I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's sad. So when people are like, this work is sad, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. That's a bummer. Right? We should, you know, go go sit on the front porch for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have just the thing to fix this. Yeah. Well, and I think like, and again, I mean, this is kind of the nerdy side of me coming out, but I think um, people also don't realize how close they are to the, to, to the machine, right? Like people don't realize yeah. how close we model like the 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 machine that they think is so cold right and, oh, I know. Uh, like there's some some pretty basic I, I mean like we're we're highly advanced beings obviously but uh you know like the mosquito it's you know it's basically a computer program um that you know it doesn't have many functions it's you know it just says you know i you know find food land here uh, you know it, it's it's there's not much to it so and that's actually um i read this book called i am a perfect loop Huh. And it's it's one of the first chapters um, is about the mosquito and how close it is to a computer program. Um, and like when you think about that, when you think about like, you know, an animal being a computer program, then you have to think about like, well, then what's consciousness? Then right. then where do you draw the line between what's alive and what's not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, I mean, you said a minute ago, we're very complex creatures and we are. But like, you know, the a scientific mind or a technical mind would also say that <clears throat> complexity is is really nothing but a system of smaller less complex equations right like yeah, yeah. um you know we had if we evolved from that mosquito then there's some part of us that is still very much just that basic loop of I'm hungry. I got to go eat. You know, we need to procreate. Yeah, yeah. We need oh, sorry. to. The book is called I am a strange loop. Sorry. <laughs> I am a strange loop. Nice. I am a strange loop. And you got to, if you ever have some time and you want to go down a rabbit hole, that's a, that's a book to go down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it, talk, it talks about like, what is consciousness? What's like, what's the difference between a computer program and a mosquito? And when you really break it down, all the reasons that we list a computer for not being alive, then that means that a mosquito isn't alive or like yeah. a bug is alive. Um, and where is that line and how do we draw it? And then it talks about like animal rights. I'm a vegetarian myself. Yeah. So, like I'm yeah. in the clear. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting to feel guilty coming out of this interview. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, like you can eat mosquitoes if you want to. <laughs> Hey, everybody, I'd like to pause the episode here for just one second. First and foremost, to give you guys our thanks. We're so appreciative that you guys like what we do and are listening. Uh, we really couldn't do it without you. We love making this podcast, but obviously you have to be there for us to make it. If you're interested in helping us out a little bit more, if you want to go the extra mile, we would appreciate it so much. And there's two ways that you can help. The first, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. This seems like a little thing. I know everybody's always asking you to do it, but it helps us so much. And more than anything else, it helps people like you find us. So if you find us interesting, other people hopefully do too. The second thing that you can do is let us know what you find interesting. Tell us what you want to hear. Please just reach out to us. Say anything to us. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at State of the Art. All right. Thanks so much. And back to the podcast. This is a, a good segue into some of your more recent work, too. I mean, uh, so, you know, if someone kind of would follow along on the timeline of your work, the work goes from very um, uh, mathematical, you know, polygons that can be described with equations to more abstracted shapes. 
um, and all the way now to fully organic people and stuff, right? Can you explain oh, kind of yeah. what this transition is? Um, well, again, it's it's the transition of, um, I guess, like getting more complicated, like moving away from the basic shapes. We've we've established a language now, right? We've established a dialogue, and now I want to like riff off of that, you know, hmm. in different directions. So, um, one of the one of the things that people were saying when they saw the work and, and I'm, I'm really like, I want to know how people are reacting to it and kind of use that in, in my research of like how I'm going to extrapolate and in which direction I'm going to go. Hmm. So I do take my feedback very seriously when people say it looks cold, when people are having these, you know, like finding the work sad. I'm like, okay, well, why are people finding the work sad? Why are people finding it cold? Why is this idea of, you know, the vastness of the universe and time, making people sad and like how can i you know push them in the direction where where i am where i don't find it sad i find it you know it, really beautiful um so one of the directions i went into then speaking about the mosquito is uh my my one of my series of works is called human code and it's talking about how we're just a bunch of code as well hmm. um <clears throat> when you break us down to our basic building blocks wear a string as well um so human code is a series of work that i'm doing where i'm doing 3d scans of a subject uh and so i'm making like a bust so it's their shoulders up and then i do a cheek swab so i take a cotton swab and i rub it all over the inside of their mouth and i send it away to a lab um and then i get back the raw data so it's not like 23 and me right i'm not uh, they're not telling me you know if you're going to die of cancer or, you know, <laughs> what color your kid's hair is going to be right. or whatever. Right, right, right. Uh, I'm getting like the really boring stuff. I get back like a text file that has a bunch of really boring information in it. <laughs> and so then I have to dig through the information and sequence it. So I take all of these like mundane pieces of data and I break them down into uh, they're called base pairs. So those are the two the two lines that link up your mom and your dad in your double helix. So right. they're called base pairs and base pairs are made up of, you probably have seen like a string of base pairs. It's like A, T, C, G, yeah. you know, and that's like, uh, guanine, thymine, you know, all the, all the and, you know, and they're, and they all stick together and they all make up who you are. And like, actually the funny thing is, is like 99% of our DNA is, um, identical. Like we're, we're not very, our variations are very slight. Mm. So I'm only looking at the 13 points in our DNA that make up like our fingerprint. Hmm. So, you know, we're actually very similar to like a tree or a dolphin. Like there's not <laughs> much, <laughs> there's not much difference there. So I'm looking at the parts that are like, that are different. And I take those and I sequence them and then I wrap them around the 3D scan. Hmm. Um, so it has this lacy texture, just like the other sculptures. But it's, I call them like super self portraits. Like it's pretty. Yeah you know, pretty personal right there. It's like a 3D scan of you. So it's like this perfect rendition of you wrapped in your genetic code. Yeah. Um, is, is, but then, but then it, it, it like shows people like you're just a bunch of, you know, weird letters that are all stuffed together. Too. <laughs> yeah. And what is, what is the reaction to that work been? How is it, you know, compare and contrast that with some of the earlier, more geometric stuff? Oh, people are way more friendly towards the, yeah. Towards the busts. Yeah. Yeah human co pieces and and people love it that it's you know when when you get one that's you um so yeah that, that feels a little bit more friendly and then that opens the door to conversation for the other works as well hmm. so then my android series is a combination of the platonic solids the kepler solids and the human code so i'm taking these geometric shapes 
and mashing them up with the 3D scans um, to show like not only like our similarities, but also I like having them not only be next to each other, but together as one. Yeah. Um, showing just like we're we're a mashup of our own technology. Like we're going to blend in with our technology at some point and we're not much different. So, you know, it's a it's and people really like those works because then it's a combination of the science, the more sciencey stark works that people are finding, you know, are timid about. And then this very friendly, like very unique, like it's you. Yeah. Uh, portraiture. Yeah. Are you so is uh, I mean, so you mentioned this is like you're, you're taking real people's DNA and then creating. Oh, yeah. Like they have to sign off on that. We're right. really pretty specific. <laughs> <laughs> so is this like commissioned work or is this are you I've, hand I've done, selecting the people? Yeah. yeah, like uh, the first one I did was me. Yeah, obviously. Just, you know, as a proof of concept and just to be like, this is, you know, this is what this is. Yeah. Before you go convincing people to give give, <laughs> right. their, give up their DNA. Give me your, your money last... and your DNA. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I know your your, your last guest, uh, Gabe yeah. Garcia Colombo, he steals people's DNA too. <laughs> Not steals it, but like throws it. Um, right. You know, people are you know, a little bit wary about that. So right, right, you know, right. I, I did myself first to be like, it's okay. <laughs> so I, I do show the the head that is me most often. And yeah. then people commission after that. Yeah. Uh, do you find people are like, so, I mean, I would understand why you just being a responsible <laughs> person would want to say, you know, we're, we're doing all the right things with your DNA. But do you find people are um, pretty protective of that? Do people get sketched out by that or are people pretty willing um, to, to usually people to that project? are coming to me for a commission right. of their 3D scan and DNA are like already on board. Right, right, right. I'm not like chasing people down being like, let me make a sculpture <laughs> of your head. <laughs> Open your mouth. <laughs> um, Weirder sure. things have happened on the streets of New York, by the way. <laughs> I mean, if I wanted anybody's DNA, I could find it. Like it's somewhere. <laughs> And that's the oh, thing. Like, people, people get squeamish about like opening their mouth for a cotton swab, but I'm like, you know, people flick cigarette butts on the street. Like you're, right. you're leaving your DNA all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So it's really unavoidable. <laughs> that's funny. We need to be, we need to be less uh, protective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love. I mean, I think what something that really strikes me about your work is it really, you know, not only are you kind of embracing scientific themes in what you're doing but like you're really you really are kind of thinking in a way that a scientist is insofar as like you know one of the things that's always really fascinated me is when you watch interviews or if you ever have the good fortune to speak to like a climate scientist um for as bad as the news is right scientists tend to be pretty like meh like in well, a weird they way, know everything will be okay. Like, yeah, like it's <laughs> it's what's going to happen is going to happen, right? And their job is going to happen. We don't like if we've already screwed it. Like, there's not much more we can do, right? <coughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. And um, and honestly, like, we're only screwing ourselves, right? The planet will be fine, right? Exactly. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting, and I think people get confused by that they get freaked out by that but for a scientist it's like look i can't i can't myself change what's happening but my job Mm -hmm. is to understand it 
And if that's what gets you going, if that's what you're interested in is figuring out what's happening, it's a very fascinating time to be alive as a scientist, even if it's oh, yeah, absolutely. the end of, you know, or the beginning of major global uh, changes. Climate yeah. Collapse well, look, I mean, I don't, we've been through an ice age or two, like, right. The planet bounces back. It's just whether we're going to be there. Right. Or like, will most of us be there? Right. To well, see it through. So, I mean, that's... like, everybody's like, you know, damn hippies and they're right. loving the planet. I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of like, it's, it's, a, it's about us. Like, right, right. Really self, it's actually really self centered. We're trying to save us. Yep. Yeah. I had a prof in college who once said, like, Mother Nature doesn't give a shit. Like, Mother Nature, oh, Mother Nature doesn't give a shit. She figures her own shit. Like, <laughs> nature doesn't care if a species goes extinct. It'll come up mm-hmm. with more species. We're the only yep. ones who care about those types of things. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. But but your work is is really in a similar vein where it's like, hey, you know, maybe we'll last forever. We probably won't. <laughs> oh, I mean, and, like if 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 time has shown us anything, it's that we won't. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I love I love the I I love the mood of everything that you've created, and uh, it it's been a lot of fun to talk to you because, like I said, who doesn't like thinking big picture like that and. Oh, yeah, totally. You always get to think you're a genius when you think like that, especially when you're asking <laughs> questions that can't be answered. <laughs> oh, yeah, because if nobody can answer them, then you can just extrapolate and like everybody right. has to go, oh, yeah, all right. Oh, well, yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah, never <laughs> thought about that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, so uh, before we get into some of the rapid fire stuff, I know... Um, I mean, you have a bunch of new work coming out that's in the works, right? How close are we to yeah. finished on this? Oh, God. Every day that goes by, I'm like, I thought I would have been done by now. <laughs> um, so we were shooting for fall, but now we're shooting for winter. Nice. I'm doing my largest sculpture yet. So it's it's uh, it's taken a while and it's it's very complicated. So I'm I'm doing a new piece in the Human Code series um, where I worked with a geneticist and we um, isolated the X chromosome and I sequenced it. Um, and so we're making a life-size human code figure of a woman, uh, the Vitruvian woman. So she's going she, going back to our talk about Da Vinci and yes. why scientists aren't artists and artists aren't scientists. That's this is this piece is directly speaking to that. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so she's got her arms out. She's got double arms, double legs. She's you know, I'm trying to think about incorporating time into the piece as well. Um. So I want this like you know motion to also be seen. Um, and she's going to be wrapped in the X chromosome because she's not a specific woman. She is representing all women. So she's 3d scans of a bunch of different women, uh, a Franken woman, if you will. (laughs) Um, so yeah. And I have, I have a a big body of work coming out around that. Um, I have some two dimensional works that go with her. I don't want to give everything away, but yeah, of course not. Um, yeah, and she's going to be 3D printed in pieces and assembled and then plated. Yeah. Um, so life size, or she's going to be like five foot seven and a half, I think. Wow. <laughs> and then stand on a base and like there's like going to be a motion aspect as well that's going to make her even taller. So I think we're I think we're we're looking for or we're telling people that if they're interested in showing her that she's going to have like a 10 by 10 by 10 foot yeah. space. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Yeah, so for listeners out there, if if anybody uh, is connected to to the gallery scene, um, you're you're in New York. What part of New York are you in? My studio is in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, 
but all, all artists are in Brooklyn. Yeah, we yeah. <laughs> and we go across the river. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. But yeah, definitely just a, a shout out for, for anybody interested in showing that stuff um, I, that's coming coming to a close. It's it's going to be ready soon. So I'm, I'm excited yeah, to I'm check doing, that out. I'm doing studio visits now, so hit me up. Awesome. All right. Well, before we let you go, Ashley, as our listeners know, <laughs> and as you have been informed, uh, the last thing we do before we let you go is the rapid fire questions. Just a handful of fun get to know you questions to keep you on your toes. Uh, so the idea is just to try to fire off and answer as quickly as possible, whatever comes to your head as quickly as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'll try. <laughs> Deep breaths. <laughs> you're going to do fine. I this promise. This is the part I was most anxious about. I was like, I can talk about my work, but oh my God, these rapid fire questions. <laughs> I love, and I love doing it at the end so that you have to be anxious throughout the whole interview to the get to the rapid thing. fire question. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've been, you've very clearly been terrified of this. You're. I'm, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Go easy on me. <laughs> All right. Well, the first one I think is relatively easy. So what's you know how how when you go to events and stuff like that, they always have like the icebreakers and you have to tell your one fun fact about you. Oh yeah. What is yeah. your like go to fun fact? Um, my go to fun fact. Um well this used to be my go to fun fact for like dating. I'm I'm married now, but right. I used to use this to like weed out potential boyfriends. <laughs> I like it already. Um, I would talk about my taxidermy hobby. <laughs> Says the vegetarian. Says the vegetarian. Yeah. Um, no, I've done e ethical taxidermy. All right. All, that All right. Die of natural natural causes. causes. Okay. Out, killing them. Um, but I, I have a story. Uh, one of my girlfriends, she's also an artist. Her name is uh, Tinkerbell. She's assigned uh, to my Dutch gallery, Torch Gallery in hmm. the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. Okay. And uh, she did a bunch of taxidermy work back in the day. Um, she does taxidermy to talk about, you know, animal rights, like how we treat animals like toys. So she actually literally makes them into toys. Hmm. So we did a collaboration where we together we taxidermied a full size horse. Um, yeah. So that and, and I, 3D like printed, I, I 3D printed roller skates for it to be on and like accessories because we made it into a, a My Little Pony doll. <laughs> Okay. Um, so my go-to fun fact is talking about the story of like how we we found a horse in Pennsylvania. It was going to die, but we picked it out because it had a beautiful tail. <laughs> <laughs> and we had to wait for it to die and we were, we were we were waiting um we were on a time crunch too because we were going to show it at uh, an art fair in New York City and you know the horse was like still kicking it and we we're like come on a horse what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like I mean um, live because we love you but yeah, we, yeah. Like, we like to see your lives still, but like you're, we you got know, we're stuff really, to do here. We got like six months to this art fair. Like it's going to take a long time. Um, so the horse eventually dies and we went through the whole process of like buying its hide at auction. And we found a, um, a skilled taxidermist to help us. So he actually did all like the nasty guts part. Yeah. So we didn't have to, but, and we like made big, big googly eyes for it. And, you know, wow. and, and so we had to talk to this guy and he was like, he was so he we were scared of him and he was scared of us we showed up in a u-haul in like the backwoods in pennsylvania and he he like pokes his head out his garage he's he's terrified of us like we had to have my mom call him and tell him that we weren't crazy like because he was like because we want we were like asking questions like okay we want you to chop its whole head off so that it can spin all the way around and he was like are you guys sick like what's yeah. wrong with <laughs> and we and we were scared of him because we're like driving and like the signal on our phones all go out you know all oh, right down road in the middle of nowhere and we're like 
meeting this like taxidermy <laughs> guy. Like that's how horror movies start. Yeah. But he was he was really, really nice. And we both like got over our fear for each other and yeah. ended up being got great, on the same we, page. We got on the same page. But yeah, that's my go to like, you know, if you can't hang with that. <laughs> yeah. I, did you weed out some prospective boyfriends that way? Oh, did I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah <laughs> but no, just... how I, I knew how i knew my husband was the one is for our anniversary like one of our anniversaries i taxidermied a mouse to look like him <laughs> like, like i little miniature clothes and accessories to look yeah. like him yeah. <laughs> he thought it was, great, so. <laughs> was the horse the first taxidermy project for you and then yeah. you just kept going with it that is yeah. a hell of a way to start taxidermying I'm diving in yeah <laughs> Yep. Well, I was not. <clears throat> I bit off more than I could chew on that one. See, you thought you were unprepared. I was not expecting. You uh, were the one that was unprepared. Uh, right. I was not <laughs> expecting to hear about a horse with his head spinning around. That's hilarious, yeah, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I could go into the gory details, but we're going to keep it, you know, we're going to keep it light. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I am I am from those backwoods of Pennsylvania, so I can hang with the details, but okay. I don't we'll think we'll our listeners need it. We'll yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, it's funny. I wasn't planning on this, but that dovetails nicely into the next one. What is what's something that will immediately turn you off about someone? Doesn't have to be a guy, just anybody. Oh, anybody? I do, I close-minded people. People that aren't willing to like, you know, chill and I don't know, like that turn off really quickly and have opinions and they won't like yeah, you know, I like to hear people with differing opinions than me. You know, like I, I could have gotten pissed off about people saying that my artwork was sad and just like kept making it. But I, I want, I want to engage with people that have different ideas than me, and yeah, you know, incorporate that in. So, like, yeah, close-mindedness. I don't, I don't like it when you can't put yourself in the shoes of somebody else and see their opinion. Yeah, nice. All right, easy enough. Yeah. What is all right? So this is. Uh, I feel like everybody has one of these. What is your go-to like? Sunday afternoon movie if you've had a long hard night partying or just a long work week what's your like I'm gonna put this on in the afternoon and completely veg out while watching this movie oh god I love watching like trashy sci-fi movies (laughs) like like really like really really bad ones or you know I I also watch really really good ones I'll put on like a Star Trek movie yeah I'm a big Trek youth obviously like everybody could probably figure that out by now but i could sit i just you know i'll just sit and watch star trek for hours nice yeah and then and you know and you just like hang out you get get a pizza and you just like because they that that's that's why i love that series too is they they're doing the same thing every episode is something different and it's talking about you know you know meeting a different type of person or different type of being and what that would be like and like right that it's the it's the mind-bending questions too that's where they all started i think like people were really into star trek and they're like oh this is cool very nice very nice all right, and last but not least, what is your like I'm home alone and just need to put on some music to dance to song? Oh god. Dancing um, in the dark kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll I'm I'll dance to it in the dark, I'll dance to it in the light, I'll dance to it in front of anybody, but it is my like guilty pleasure. Um my whole family are deadheads. Nice. <laughs> uh, of course. That's like yeah. artist coming from a deadhead family. Yeah, yeah. So uh the Grateful Dead channel is on twenty four seven. Very nice, very um, nice. Yeah, and it's it's taken. I don't know. It's it, it. Well, like my family will travel to concerts together. We go to all the shows. Yeah. Um, I was actually at a show in Central Park uh, a couple weeks ago, and I met Phil Lesh. So like, really, that's like, 
Yeah, that's going on my nice bucket list of that's life awesome. things. Yeah, he was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. I uh, so I have heard. I don't. I've not confirmed that this is true, but it makes sense. So mm-hmm. uh, just north of San Francisco is Marin County, and it's uh, you know San Francisco is the city. Marin County is the beautiful mm-hmm. green space, um, and pretty much all of the remaining members of the Grateful Dead who are still living um, mm-hmm. have houses there. And apparently they all, you know, I mean, they're all old guys now, so they have kids and like grandkids in schools. And so apparently they come out to like, there will be like, uh, you know, a homecoming parade and you'll see like Phil Lesh on a float going through the middle of town. (laughs) <laughs> just oh, celebrating like the I, well, I know he has a music stuff. venue out there where he like yeah he terrapin does, like, crossroads yeah like, terrapin crossroads and they do like collabs with a, a bunch of artists and stuff like that so yeah that's pretty cool yeah that's a great retirement plan like hang out and play music with friends all the time <laughs> <laughs> oh man we could talk about this stuff for hours how do you feel about john mayer joining the band um okay <laughs> well, I, being, being a woman i feel great about it right <laughs> <laughs> all the of John Mayer and he is like a badass guitar player so oh, yeah. I can't you know his his own personal work like it's <laughs> all right it, I mean like I was I I listened to it when I was in high school because I kind of thought he was like the next Jimi Hendrix and I was like really stoked yeah I went to one of his concerts in Philadelphia of course um, and I remember being like why are there so many there was like a bunch of teeny bopper girls everywhere <laughs> and he didn't like jam out he like played songs right and right like right, right. I was like, what is this i like clearly got this wrong yeah um no. <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm glad he's playing with dead and company he i think he adds something he, he keeps the old men on their toes yeah that's sure. yeah exactly <laughs> awesome well we could talk about this for hours but know, this, this podcast is, is not about the grateful dead and john mayer unfortunately but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Ashley, it was great to talk to you. Um, I really did enjoy this. This was this was a lot of fun. Um, how can our listeners get a hold of you? How do they, you know, how do they stay in tune with what you're doing? Um, so I don't know if every I'm gonna spell out my last name for everybody because my Instagram <laughs> handle is A Zelinsky, but Zelinsky <laughs> spelled very weird. Z E L I N S K I E. Great. And so every one of my handles is at A Zelinsky, and you can find me on pro- preferably Instagram. That's where I post the most. Awesome. You know. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Ashley. Uh, I hope this was as fun for you as it was for me. And uh... it was a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We'll keep on putting out the good work. We'll stay tuned and uh, have a great day. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Bye. Bye. As always, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of State of the Art. Had so much fun with Ashley between the Pennsylvania connection, the. Uh, the John Mayer and Grateful Dead stuff. Uh, We had a blast. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Ashley, for being on the program. And listeners, please check out her work. Uh, She has some stuff on Instagram as well as her website. Uh, So Instagram and all of her social stuff is under A. Zielinski. That's A-Z-E-L-I-N-S-K-I-E. And her website is AshleyZielinski.com. So A-S-H-L-E-Y for Ashley. Z-E-L-I-N-S-K-I-E for Zelinsky.com. Also, if you like this episode, if you like what we're doing here at State of the Art, please, please, please tell your friends, rate and review us. That's the most helpful thing you can do. Wherever you listen to your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, we would be most grateful. As always, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being interested in the arts. And uh, we'll catch you next time.